Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast of podcastbywhoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Sam Ty and George Ellick to preview the weekend's Premier League action. Little disclaimer, we are recording this on a Thursday morning, so there still is games to play midweek, but we've got enough in us, I think, to preview the games. We're going to look at Villa v Arsenal, Luton v Manchester City, and if we have time, a little look at Nottingham Forest as the team in focus as well. But only one place to start this weekend, it's Aston Villa against Arsenal. Sam and I have barely slept with excitement after Villa really dismantled Manchester City last night. Sam outplayed them completely. I think it was 22 shots to two in the end and just one of the great nights at Villa Park. I am still buzzing. Yes, me too. Um, it was a very strange sensation, wasn't it? Watching watching your team dominate the European champions like that. Uh, just, just, just play them off the park. and Treble winners, treble winners. It, the best team in the world. Yeah. Uh, and just and I know Rodri wasn't there, and that obviously is quite a massive deal for them, as we found out over the last few months. But even still, even still, so, you know, you fall into that trap of sort of making excuses for City, don't you? Oh god, oh well it was this, oh it was that. You you automatically you, you end up like trying to apply some asterisk asterisks to it. But like it was my wife that had to point out to me. She was like, um, you do realize that, like, yeah, Erling Haaland's still on the pitch, Phil Foden. Still on the pitch. There's a the few whole world class players there. The whole defence is intact. John Stones is back, who had a nightmare. Everyone at City had a nightmare, really, because Villa, everyone was 10 out of 10. This is a momentous victory. I was just sat there like, OK, yeah, it's the best victory of the Emery era. Done. It's the best victory since Villa returned to the Premier League, for sure. Is it? Is it the best victory I have ever seen? Is it the best Villa performance I've ever seen in my entire life? I'm 33. Possib- possibly. Genuinely, I'm going to have to give it some more thought. We'll come back to you in two to three weeks. You know, it's a serious question. You have to ask yourself that. But I think the answer is probably yes. That might be the best I have literally ever seen Aston Villa play, taking into account the nature and the strength of the opposition. Dan, do you agree? I do, but then we could be saying the same thing after Saturday, potentially. Oh, I mean, in, in, an, in, a, in an ideal <laughs> world. Let's, see, let's bring George into this Villa fest. You picked the wrong game last night. What am I doing here? What? didn't watch Aston Villa against Manchester City. So I'll give you a little bit of a flavour, George. I think the thing that's probably impressed me most is Manchester City have lost games this season. They went to Molyneux and they lost. Rodri didn't play that day either. Well, not coincidentally, it's not coincidence at all, is it? But Rodri didn't play that day either. But you get teams get wins against Manchester City, but Manchester City might miss a load of chances. They might completely dominate the game and get a little bit unlucky. Haaland misses an misses an easy chance, and you know team has two, three, four chances and and, and ends up winning the game. This wasn't that. The possession was really, really close. I think it was fifty-four to forty-six in the end, or or something like that. You know. That in, against that Manchester City side, that's almost like winning the possession stakes when, <laughs> when you look at it. Villa had a, Villa had over twenty shots to Manchester City's two. Manchester City's two shots came in the same ten seconds, and Harlan should have scored in, in the twelfth minute. Yeah, you know, and then they didn't you know, take a shot after the twelfth minute. The XG timeline is a flat line. It's yeah, it's, that is absolutely incredible. I can't overstate you, George, how good Villa were last night. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, as as Sam said, there, there, there are various um, graphics these days that you can look at that will tell you a story of a game and whether that is um, like a shot map location, whether that is an XG plot. 
And all of them are just so striking in the, the total dominance that Villa clearly showed over, over City, both in terms of chance creation and in terms of preventing City themselves from doing so. And if you look back over the games where City have dropped points this season, you know, they've drawn three games coming into um, the, the one of defeat against, against Villa. They scored three goals against Spurs. They scored four goals against uh, Chelsea in the three one and four all draws. They they created a lot of chances against Liverpool before they equalised. Even in the defeat to Arsenal and the defeat to to Wolves, it wasn't the case where they were shut out entirely. And this, to me, is what's so striking about this display from Villa is that I don't necessarily think any team has ever done this to Pep City. From 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 my memory, I can't remember a single side going up against Manchester City and completely nullifying their attack whilst creating loads of opportunities. It seems unfair to me. I mean, I, I know you guys won't care that the game was won by a long-range deflected strike where, in actual fact, like Villa clearly did enough in the game to um, to, to not only have won by more than a one-goal margin, but to also have scored goals that were didn't have that kind of slice of fortune to it. Like, just an incredible uh, display. And, and I think I also saw a... I did see a, a tweet yesterday during the game saying that in that first half, um, the amount of shots that Villa had in the first half was a record for a team to ha- a team having shots against a, a Pep Guardiola Manchester City side in a half of football. So, yeah, I mean, just surely this is the display now, and whether or not it, it, it you know it happens, we'll see. But this is a display where I sat here a few weeks ago and said that. Um, you know, Brighton had to be taken seriously as title challenges. That hasn't come to, to be the case. But it was surely about now, 10 weeks ago, in fairness. In mm. fairness, thank you very much, Dan. Yeah. But like we're sitting here now in mid-December. Villa are very much in touching distance of the of the top spot. They're currently 33 to 1, um, looking at the odds checker grids to win the league. But when you see a team put in a display like that, you have to think they have the requisite quality to to, to go far if, if other teams do slip up. The issue for, for Aston Villa is that they can't play all 38 games of Villa Park and clearly yeah. the performance levels away from home are not quite as high. But but either way, it's what an exciting position to be in for, for a Villa fan, I assume. Yeah, you have you have to remember as well, like you, your memory can't be so short because Villa, frankly, were not very good against Bournemouth. They, were, they just weren't. No. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a 94th minute header there, which is a, a glorious header that has, that has nicked a point against a team that has actually probably outfought you in midfield and exposed a few weaknesses in your team. Now, obviously, you know, what what works for Villa in midweek is that you get Bubakar Kamara back, who who was amazing on the night. And he's also tactically very, very important to the team. Of course, you then combine that with the fact that City were missing their version of him, probably in Rodri. Um, Seems like a disrespectful thing to say about Rodri. He's the best midfielder in the world, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and of course, the Villa then get the advantage there, whereas Bournemouth had it before. So it's all swings and roundabouts and, and football. There's a lot of games to play. Not everyone can be at full, full fitness the entire time. Fine. But when George starts talking about yet another title contender, I just try to stay slightly grounded there and think, well, the Bournemouth game actually really wasn't very good. And and, and Villa still, they, they need to prove that on a consistent basis and away from Villa Park, as you say, they can do this. But I think also last night was really important in Villa proving to themselves, as in those players, like getting a big result and going, crap, we are this good. We, we are actually this good. And this is the proof. That's a very powerful tool. Yeah. You can get one of those in the bank because, all right, Villa went and beat Spurs away. Again, another pretty rickety game. All right, Villa have had some good wins. Come on, doing that against City, that is, that is a potential turning point for an entire set of beliefs for the whole season. 
and a great time to remember how to keep a clean sheet as well. Yeah, yeah, I think Chelsea away was the last time they had to play and shit, and I'm relatively sure that that game was in September. So it had been a been a long while since Villa did keep a clean sheet. You referenced that that away game, Sam, but I guess getting that that late smash and grab point really it, it was it kept the momentum going go, going yeah. into this game against Manchester City. George, the the good news for the sake of this preview is you know we're talking about we wish every game could be at home as Villa fans. This game is at home, and mm. Arsenal themselves, you know, kept their momentum going by getting a getting a late victory at Luton mid- midweek. This should be another good spectacle. But the thing we always know with Unai Emery is he'll come up with a specific plan for a game. And yes, it's great for Villa to have beat Manchester City, but he'll already be looking at Arsenal. And for him, I suppose playing Arsenal is personal, and it kind of comes round full circle as well. I'm giving you a lot here because the last time Villa lost a home game was against Arsenal in February. What's left to say? Uh, next game, please, Dan. No, it's um, <laughs> it, it's a it's a, a game so full of narrative. Where even if you look at the Premier League table now, you know you've got Villa who are four points behind Arsenal after fifteen games. So if if Villa can 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 win this game, then uh, you know people can laugh at title contenders, and I think the majority of of football supporting neutrals or, or fans of Premier League clubs probably think that only three teams can win the league and those are Liverpool, Arsenal and, and, and Manchester City and maybe they are you know it's eminently likely that one of those will do it but if Villa can go back to back against City and Arsenal if, if Villa can exert any kind of dominance like they did over City in, in another game then I think it becomes impossible especially with just a one-point gap in, in mid-December not to accept that when the potential within a squad is for a performance level to be so high. Like that's the most important thing here. Like, you know, Wolves beat Manchester City at home 2-1. No one was sitting around after that game saying, well, maybe Wolves can win the league. But the reason for that was because normally when you beat Manchester City, you do so in a game where you've kind of got to get a slice of luck. You've got to rely on certain City players missing chances. You've got to be incredibly clinical because you're not going to create too much against City. Whereas the fact is, based on what we saw last night, that Villa team plays that City team, the majority of the time Villa are going to win because they were just the better side. Yes, injuries play a big part in that. But let's not pretend. You know, Akanji's been brilliant in the last couple of weeks since he came in uh, alongside Rodri in midfield. John Stones, you know, has gone from being you know, the, the John Stones revelation in midfield has been one of the big storylines of 2023 in, in, in European football. Like, this is still a very good City side. Yes, they're missing players. Um, but, you know, Injuries are part of the part of the game. Like I, I still think, like City are now eleven to ten to win the league. So for the first time this season, their odds against to do so. So they're perceived as having a kind of less than fifty percent chance of of winning the league. It feels to me now like within most circles, Arsenal are probably perceived to be the 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 likely winners in some areas. And this is always the case. It was the case last season as well, where you know City was still massive favourites, even when people thought that Arsenal were was seen to be the ones who were in the driving seat. And Arsenal is 11-4 to to win the league, 15-4 to at Liverpool. So, yeah, it's it's a massive game. Um, how much, you know, you have to A, accept or, or notice that Arsenal have an extra day's rest, which at this stage of the season I think is important. Um, how much will that have taken out of, of Villa in midweek? Yes, you can talk about the momentum and like the belief that they can now do this, but at the same time, it, it's not easy to do that to Manchester City. So, but yeah, I mean, if, if Villa can put in a similar level of performance, then Arsenal are probably in for the hardest game so far this season. 
Yeah, I mean they made hard work of that of that Luton game. We've seen a lot, a lot of late goals recently as well in and around the Tottenham, Arsenal, Liverpool. I mean the Spurs game as as well. Manchester City have kind of been on the wrong end of those late goals, whereas it feels like the other teams at the moment. I actually think Liverpool. I've got a sneaky feeling Liverpool might win the league this this season. I've been saying that for a few weeks to to a few of my pals. I I think Liverpool might end up doing it. I was I was at Sky on on Tuesday doing the football show and they had a title race segment and was using the Opta supercomputer. And Villa were fourth in that for 0.06. City were far and away the favourites. I'd be interested to see what that's saying now after mm. after last night's results. I have no idea how you get on the Optus supercomputer. I, I saw um, I saw Arel from 21st Group who, who post quite a few kind of uh, of their models and their prediction models said that City went from 50% chance in their models to 43% chance last night. So 7% swing, which is pretty mega for for one 90-minute game. I was pretty sure that even even a few weeks ago, City were like ninety three or eighty three percent chance winners. Like this was only two to three weeks ago. A lot of models had them as that. So, these things these things change quite a lot. Maybe maybe the lesson here is that we should um, maybe check them in April. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just called the league table, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) And if we didn't talk about these things, we wouldn't be doing podcasts and we wouldn't be getting paid. So that wouldn't be very good. We wouldn't be earning a living. So that would not be good at all. You talked about uh, narratives in this game. I can't remember which one of you said this now, but there are obviously a fair few narratives around this game. Obviously, Emery playing against, well, managing against his old team. One of the narratives is the goalkeeper position, Sam, at the moment. You know, Martin, as we saw his value last night for Villa, double save from, from Erling Haaland, two stupendous saves in the space of about 10 seconds. What an absolute monster goalkeeper. Emmy Martinez is, whereas at the other ending goal for the, for this fixture, David Raya, it's a shadow of his former self. And I, I don't really like talking about the Arsenal goalkeeping things. I feel like it's been done to death, but he wasn't great against Luton and he does look like he's suffering a little bit. Well, if Arteta keeps feeding you the conversation, Dan, you're obliged, unfortunately, to talk about it. And 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 that is ultimately where we are. Um, there's, there's differing opinions across the board, isn't there, about how Arteta has handled this goalkeeping situation, whether or not he is basically the reason why it's gone so badly or whether actually it's nothing to do with him at all. I'm not 100% sure where I sit on this, except for the fact that I think when Rye was brought in, we sat here and talked about it and I thought, He's good, but I don't think he's a massive upgrade on Ramsdale. And he hasn't really shown his best self, has he? Um, I know a couple of Arsenal fans that are really quite unhappy with his performances. And, and, and one of the trends that I've noticed is that when things actually get quite tough, so probably away games, uh, definitely sort of, you know, scenarios or, or atmospheres in stadiums where things get tough or just difficult moments in games when the pressure starts to build, Raya has unfortunately crumbled quite often. Um, he was credited with two errors leading to goals by Opta uh, uh, in midweek. Um, and he already had one in the bank from the Lons game in the Champions League. So he's, he's currently at fault for three, at least three goals, clear cut. But you could probably dig a little bit deeper, actually, and, and, and probably go for a few more. I don't think it's been particularly convincing whatsoever. But then, of course, they brought Ramsdale in for the Brentford game because Raya couldn't play because, you know, loanies can't play against their parent clubs. Ramsdale looks absolutely terrified which is not the Ramsdale that we saw last season. So we've now got two goalkeepers here who are not at 100%. In fact, I'd argue that Ramsdale is at 50% and Ryan might be at 70 And And Arteta is constantly fielding this question as to what he's doing. And I think he is actually the architect of this scenario. 
in a bad way. Like, like he has done, he has done this. Like he chose to put to buy Raya. He chose to put him in. This is kind of all his fault. Um, because Ramsdale, while he had some lapses last season, these are, I think they're two completely opposite cases. Like Ramsdale was, was having these lapses in like the second minute of games, which I'm not suggesting is like a good thing, but like, the, the errors that Ramsdale made last year towards the back end of the season, I like think about the Southampton game where they conceded two minutes in, um, or I think it was the Bournemouth game where they conceded after like 30 seconds or whatever. Yeah. Okay, fine. A mistake is a mistake and it's bad. But these these riot errors are not coming in the first two minutes and giving them a chance to sort of rebound from them. They're, they're causing real problems and they're really destabilizing the team later in games. I don't know what the solution is here at all, except to send them off to a goalkeeper camp to restock on confidence like possibly run by Petr Cech but like this this is the scenario that Arsenal are in now you know the, the defense fortunately is really really solid but behind them I don't know man this is it's not good it's not good at all no I mean David Raya put in the lowest rated performance in the Premier League match according to who scored rating so far this season which you know you can't dress that up that's that, that's not great at all Ramsdale has been slightly linked with a, with a move to Newcastle. Obviously, Newcastle are probably going to be in the market for a, for a goalkeeper in, in January now. Is it a bit of a myth that competition brings out the best in people, especially in the goalkeeper position? Because I think not many, I don't remember many people calling this as being something that, w- that was going to work or that was a good thing when they did it. I like David Raya and I thought David Raya is the, was the better goalkeeper when they signed him. But having two goalkeepers of a similar level, it does. We, people did kind of say this is going to create more problems than it is going to do good and at the moment that's how it feels it's gone I think part of the reason for that is the level of scrutiny that they're, they're both under like there's been a ridiculous amount of coverage around this story there's been like deep dives into Aaron Ramsdale's kind of mental state which is seems a bit strange to me for us onlookers to be to be looking at that kind of side of things when um yeah, I mean, it's it, it doesn't look like in this case it's really worked. I think in this day and age with football coverage the way it is and with social media taking a massive part of that and everyone having their say, it means that when you've got two goalkeepers and one of them came in recently and did very well last season, every single time David Ryan now basically plays, um, if he plays well, it's kind of justification for the decision. If he plays badly, then people like us sit around on on a video call and, and, and dissect it. Like it's it's... I think if you if you look at further down the pyramid, I think having two goalkeepers at probably League One or League Two level where that scrutiny isn't necessarily going to happen can only be a good thing. Like I, I can definitely think of examples in football where a goalkeeper's performances have dipped when they haven't had anyone um, pushing them to a certain extent. So I think competition for places, I mean, it's such a cliche, but it has to be an important thing. And I think often you you do see players talk about it themselves where sometimes they'll get asked in press conferences like oh how do you feel about x player coming in in your position and they're like well it's brilliant a it takes minutes off me and b it, it you know it, it means we push each other in training so it might be a cliche in this case it doesn't necessarily look like it's working you know the discussion as to who is a better goalkeeper i mean martinez or david raya like I, I i don't think there's any question whatsoever that it's Martinez. Like I, I, I can't really even believe it's it's a question necessarily. The best goalkeeper in the world. So you know you put him up against anyone and he's he's going to come out favourably. <laughs> That's but that goes down the same line of thinking as like you say that. Well, before he actually won the World Cup, you say Messi's the best player in the world, and they're like, oh, where's his World Cup then? It's like, that's not that's not what the World Cup is, I'm afraid. The, the World Cup isn't some like Ballon d'Or competition where you, you have to win it in order to uh, to lay claim to being the best. Um, and also, Emmy Martinez played for Oxford, so he has to be better than David Raya. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is, I mean, Martinez, I think, shows 
how big an impact it can have to have someone like him who is so dominant, who's such a big personality, whose shot stopping is so impressive, what it can do to a club. Um, a, a brilliant signing. And um, yeah, maybe Arsenal's goalkeeper woes wouldn't, would never have been what they are if they just kept hold of him. Yeah, I mean, they must look back. At that. They have to look back at that and think that was a mistake in the transfer market. He was pinging the ball around like Manuel Neuer as well last <laughs> night. The way, the way he's improved with his feet in the last year, he was always quite good, but the way he's improved with his feet over the last year as well is absolutely incredible. Arsenal's midfield then, Sam. I think they do miss Granit Xhaka a little bit. They're kind of fumbling around to find a, a regular next to Declan Rice and Erdegaard. But I actually wanted to talk about Declan Rice because I went back and watched the the Wolves game at the, the weekend and I watched Arsenal play Luton and I've watched a fair few Arsenal games this season. The more and more I watch Declan Rice now, it just reminds me of, I feel like I'm watching Rodri. And he might yeah. even do certain things a little bit better than, than Rodri. But you know how Rodri, like, over the last year or two has kind of scored those talismatic goals, really important goals, obviously the Champions League for, and he just feels like a defensive midfielder that's got that presence but has a little bit of everything. I'm watching Declan Rice now and it's not dissimilar to watching Rodri and sometimes I sit there and actually think, got a bit more to his game going forward, <laughs> Declan Rice. He is a fantastic footballer. He is, yeah. Um, to, to borrow a phrase from another sport, Declan Rice is clutch, isn't he? He is clutch. He's, he's not only an incredible presence and force in midfield, uh, technically, tactically and physically, and just clearly better than like almost everybody else in the league in this position and has just like three lungs and an Iron Man um, mentality and, and fitness level. He just plays every single game and it's not a problem. It might be a problem in five years, but right now it's not a problem. Um, he's also just coming up with these goals, you know, and, and there's the there's the moment late against Manchester United from the corner and now he's got a 97th minute against Luton. You know, it's not his job to score those goals, but it helps when you've got players around the team. And this is the case for Arsenal, isn't it? And, and this has been the case for the last 18 months. They have a bunch of players here who can all contribute. And you look at the Arsenal top scorer list and it's like no one's hit double figures yet, right? Um, I know it's only December, but like everybody's on about seven, like Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, like they're all, they're all like quite close. They can all contribute. And Declan Rice is coming up with two or three as well. Now, this is where Xhaka was last season, remember? Xhaka was, was in double figures. He was suddenly appearing in the box with these late runs and suddenly scoring way more goals than we really ever anticipated or were used to seeing from Granit Xhaka because he was unleashed in this kind of like this newer kind of box to box role which wasn't where they wanted to put Rice and isn't where he plays half the time. But when it's necessary to do so and when he needs to play there, he does it even better than Xhaka. And so just like whatever you throw at Declan Rice, he answers and he does it to a probably a 9 out of 10 standard. He's been absolutely outrageously good so far. Yeah, we need second in the top 10 Arsenal players according to who scored rankings, so ratings even so far this season. Second behind Bukayo Saka, which isn't a surprise because Saka is absolutely sensational as well. Let's get some score predictions then for this one. George, I'll come to you first. Aston Villa against Arsenal. So tough, isn't it? Yeah, I don't even have so a clue what to say here. One all. Cop out. I'm tempted to go the same. I'll go two to Sam. Yeah, yeah. It's it's I can 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 Villa pour enough into this game? Like what 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 did Wednesday night take out of them? Yeah, that's the problem. What like what's the influence of like Dan? We've talked about it. Like Villa Park under the lights. 
you know, because and and the and like what the crowd got left in them, like they get uh, time for the energy to rebuild, because the crowd, you know, right from the first whistle, you could tell the crowd were on it. Villa Park was on it, and you knew something special was about to happen. And, and how does that translate? Like it's such a difficult question to answer. Um, just because you guys have gone with the draws, I'm just going to continue the home the home win streak, and I'm going to go two one for two Villa. I mean, the fact it's a five thirty kickoff as well, I think that will increase. Oh, it gets dark early week, now, week, doesn't it? Week, yeah. Weekend, you know, people will be out all day, honestly, doing doing what they do before the games. I just think the atmosphere could be really fervent on a on Saturday. And it was very good last night, but I think Saturday yeah. it'll it, it'll be even better. So yeah, none of us predicting an Arsenal victory in this in this title race. The Aston Villa are fully in and involved <laughs> in. Let's look now at Luton against Manchester City and George. I'll come to you first. Pretty good for, for, for Lutz. And they're going toe-to-toe with the big boys at home. Kenilworth Road's a, a difficult place to go. They've had some bad results a, a, along the way, but mainly they've they've been in games. I'm impressed with Luton. Are, are you surprised? Bearing in mind, you know, you watch more EFL football than, 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 than I do. Are you, are you surprised with how well they seem to be coping? I am surprised um, that they're doing so well at home, I would say. I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised that they're competitive in the Premier League I you know I said at the time back in in May when they went up or June when they went up um that people talking about Derby's record and the rest of it was incredibly disrespectful about a side who've been very very good over the course of a campaign um who have a very clear identity and style of play that, that will translate to Premier League football purely because not many teams do what they do and I think in this day and age when you've got so many sides who, who want to play in a similar way for those who like to be direct and those who like to who are happy out of possession. Um, there's room for those teams, which I think is why we're seeing Sean Dyche's Everton do so well this season in terms of their actual, um, you know, their results rather than the points tally after the, after the deduction. But the surprising part of this is that, that Luton really struggled at home last season, which is bizarre. Like their, their away form was, was brilliant in the championship. Their home form wasn't particularly good. So for whatever reason, uh, Rob Edwards has turned that around over the over the summer. The issue for them now is that their away performances are so poor. Um, but if you look at their games so far this season, yes, they've lost four home games. They've only won one. But the fact is they haven't been beaten by more than a solitary goal at home, which in itself I think shows that their, their levels um, are very high. Uh, so, yeah, it was a, a, they took their chances. There was a, they had a bit of help themselves against Arsenal. But it'll be a real gut punch to them to have conceded in the way that they did, uh, rather than picking up what would have been a huge point in their in their quest for safety. And with you know, it looked a couple of weeks ago like Everton's deduction was going to bring them back into it. I don't think Everton are going to get be near relegation this season, despite their deduction. So, no. and with Bournemouth improving too, like they're looking now probably at, at Forest, looking at, at Palace. But these are teams who have a pretty big head start on them from where we are now. So, um, yeah, d- delighted for them, albeit probably. You know, given they're trying to get themselves a bit of a start here, facing uh, Arsenal and City uh, isn't really well, unless you're Aston Villa, uh, isn't really the the the, the fixtures that you want. No, what's Odd Checker saying in 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 the realms of them staying up? Does Odd Checker think they've got a chance? Yeah, looking at the relegation market now, they've got um, they're, they're three on to get relegated, so kind of seen to to be not down. Um, you know, you look at Sheffield United's price, where Chris Wilder's got a massive task in his hand with their one to 16. So if you just put 16 pounds on Sheffield United to go down and they get relegated, you'll get just one pound profit back, which shows that the, you know, the chance that they're perceived to have uh, Burnley is still seen to have the, the best chance of staying up with the bookmakers. Uh, they're four to six to, to get relegated. So not far off a, a coin toss um, Everton. The next are her six, 17 to four. So just bigger than four to one. Yeah, as I say, I, I wouldn't be backing Everton at that price. I think they'll, they'll be absolutely fine. Then you're looking at 
Forest, who are, are five to one, Palace at sixteen to one, are the ones to me that really, really appeal. Like you've got a fan base at the moment who are, are not happy with with Roy Hodgson. It feels very unlikely in my eyes that he will um, be uh, there much longer. You've got a director of football who's done an amazing job in Dougie Freeman in terms of recruiting players who apparently is on the list to, to maybe come at Manchester United when Sir Jim Ratcliffe's takeover comes to fruition, which would be a huge blow to them. Then you look at their recent managerial appointments. Like if they are to sack Hodgson, they went with Vieira last time and that didn't end particularly well. So there's not, I wouldn't say there's much trust from my eyes as to them getting it right. So um, yeah, I mean, that would be where I'd be looking if I was having a, a play in that market. If you had to call three teams to go down, George, bearing in mind you are Mr. EFL. Don't do this to me, would you, would Dan. You pick, would you pick the three? You know what I'm going to no. say. Pick the three. Yeah. Come on. yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Because last season, all three stayed up. I know. And it's and it's, it's created quite a boring championship this season. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sam for newly promoted. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, I hate saying it because it just feels so basic, but it's what I called at the start of the season and I, I don't see a reason to change things. I think George is right. Everton, Everton look pretty damn good. All their underlying yeah. numbers are, are actually, they're actually yeah, they're really, good. really strong. Which is quite um, weird for Dyche, given that Burnley, they were always terrible. I know. Burnley. He was like the yeah, the ultimate XG beater. Well, now, yeah. obviously, it's 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 being cashed in, right? Because they're, now they're not scoring. They're racking up sort of two XG a game and not scoring yeah. and, and not winning the games. I um, appreciate they, they do play tonight before we uh, just after we record, but we'll see. But it's been a theme. So, yeah, they, they seem a cut above. Um, Sheffield United, unfortunately. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the new appointment with 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 Chrissy Wilder back in. But it's hard to look elsewhere. That points buffer to to sort of 15, 16 points. It just I know it's only sort of six. It's it's, it's a couple of wins, but it just feels like so much if you're Sheffield United and, and you can drop an eight nil loss at some point. I don't know how much you've seen of Luton so far this season, Sam, but Alfie Doherty looks a very good player. He's impressed. He's probably been Luton's best player, actually. He's got the 11th most key passes in the league, but I guess the problem is is that Luton's top scorer is Carlton Morris with three, and I'm pretty sure at least one of those is a penalty. So he's kind of creating the chances while creating the, the, the key passes, but Luton aren't taking the chances away, although they just got three against Arsenal midweek. They did, yeah. They, they certainly took their chances um, in midweek and gave Arsenal a... Just a just a hell of a ride. Um, Doughty, Doherty. So how do you pronounce it? Doherty. I said Doughty. 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 Yeah. So Doughty. has been he's been good fun, hasn't he? Um, at, at wing back, sort of steaming forward, and, and there's like there's a nice variety to his deliveries and to his play, and like he's generally creative. Um, although I will say that like obviously with the key passes, that's that's a chance created, and he is on almost all of the set pieces from what I can tell. Um, he's taken. Like almost all the corners, um, and has taken, th- has got th- three assists from free kicks. I think, um, so that that is always going to help when a player gets the lion's share of set pieces. It's going to pump up your key passes. But I'm not going to use that as a as a criticism because, like, if you were to draw up a game plan as to like how Luton on such a small budget can you know ruffle the feathers of the big boys, well, obviously you're going to have to take a look at those set piece scenarios as isolated moments in time and really try to take advantage of them. So if you've got someone like like him who can deliver a really good ball, that becomes an incredibly powerful asset. And early on this season, what with 14, 14 odd games in, he's picking up assists. He's delivering really good to, like balls into the box you know, from corners, from free kicks. He he is the one that is is making this difference where where Luton can. So he's he's holding up his end of the bargain. Like he's he's been I've been really impressed. Yeah, let's talk about Manchester City then, George. And I was my main takeaway from last night is they haven't got De Bruyne. 
at, at the moment. I think Stones coming back in, they'll, they'll do that kind of stones Rodri thing that they did so well at the back end of, of last season that, that, that kind of elevated them to, to the treble. But I think without De Bruyne, Gundogan's obviously gone as well. I kind of feel like Bernardo Silva's wasted on the flanks. I kind of feel without those players missing and not there, the, who've been a massive part of Manchester City, that's a big hole to fill for any team if you lose your two of your central midfield three. I feel like Bernardo Silva has to play in the in, in the midfield. Are you, are you concerned? Well, you won't be concerned because you're not a Manchester City fan, but <laughs> if you were a Manchester City fan, would the makeup of their central midfield concern you a little bit? Or now John Stones is back. Do you think it'll kind of sort itself out? Yeah, I mean, it, it is funny because the obviously the De Bruyne um, absence is, is massive for City. And there's no denying that. But until last night, it, their attacking output hadn't really been affected. Like, mm. I don't think I don't think he is necessarily the person that is missing. Um, maybe the you know the the way that they um, attack with a very high line um, and apart from Carl Walker on the right hand side, you know not that much pace um, on the turn from the left hand side has made an impact. Like we've seen them be really um, uh, hit on the counter a lot by sides. Chelsea, uh, Spurs being two of those. Um, but it's the defensive issues that that have been a, a, their massive problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, Bernardo's a player that I adore, and, and I think Same. he's part of his, um, you know, his importance to City and his, his genius is just how versatile he can be. Where we've seen him play as as one of the two holding midfielders, we've seen him play as uh, as an attacking eight, we've seen him play as a ten, we've seen him play as a winger, we've seen him play as a force nine. Like he's just a played left back. Work, he played left back. Yeah, I mean, his, work, <laughs> his work his work great. He's, playing goal next weekend uh, his, his work rate he's a bit small for that um is is incredible his on the ball quality is amazing his eye for goal his creative passing he's so good i mean the, the interesting one is um you know whether they try and, and bring in rather than you know the akanji stones kind of midfield duo uh, you know despite both being very capable on the ball like you are relinquishing some kind of creative control in the middle of the park and i wonder if maybe you know had nunez been playing in that in that role yesterday it might have given villa a bit more to, to think about in terms of the transition but yeah I mean that it's easy to focus a lot on on um this after one game I think realistically when you look at the, the the previous draws like City in all three of those games were ahead fairly late on in them and could have easily won all three and we wouldn't have been questioning any performances until last night so mm. um but yeah I mean Rodri is, is probably the one in terms of last night where you're looking at and thinking like you know this would have been a very different performance had he been there City don't lose the midfield battle very often, but they they comprehensively lost it on on Wednesday night. And and Stones just coming back from injury, and and no Rodri, and obviously Gundogan's long gone, and, and De Bruyne. Like, these are all these are all factors. Um, the things that struck me about City in the last few weeks and and these this run of results is they they definitely definitely lull themselves into a false sense of security at one goal up. Now this wasn't the case on Wednesday because they never were, but in the Liverpool game and the Spurs game, like they just stop like i hesitate to use this phrase because it's clearly wrong but like do you know what i mean when i say they just kind of stopped playing like the intensity just dried out of their game and they they felt like they were not going for that killer blow going for two going for three really putting these teams away and they've allowed teams to creep back in into these scenarios which is really weird it's just not something i'm really accustomed to watching a lack of midfield control and then taking your foot off the gas losing intensity and allowing a team back into the game when city have been killers for years and then finally, I'd add on that, you know, I know it's his first season and stuff, but like Vardiol has not been that good at left back. He's had some good games and then there's been at least three where I've gone, oh, 
I'm not sure about that. He was rough against Chelsea. He was rough against Arsenal when the 1-0 loss, and he was really bad on Wednesday. And while I'm sure that he'll eventually become an, an amazing centre-back, I do think that they have taken a step backwards in quality from Nathan Ake here, which I never thought I'd say. But Ake was amazing down the stretch last year, like absolutely amazing as the left-back slash hybrid centre-back. And then putting Vardy there, like it hasn't been smooth sailing. So there's a lot going on here. That's a lot of stuff I've just talked about. All those absences we've mentioned and, and Rodri's suspension and John Stones' injury and you know them cha- making a change at, at left back as well. Obviously, Bernardo has to play wide if you know Doku's injured and Grealish is suspended and you sold Mares. So so much here going on. It's really hard to, to dissect succinctly, which I've failed to do, clearly. Um, but the point is, like City feel quite jumbled. And yeah. They didn't really think we'd be here, although they, we know, I know we always say, oh, you know, pre Christmas for City, you know, they just, they just take it at a canter. They'll turn it on in the new year. I'm sure they will, but it always surprises me every year. Maybe it shouldn't when City don't really look like they know what they're doing in December. They, they will in February, but right now yeah. they look jumbled. I feel like last night will probably be the catalyst for, for things to change. But, George, they are conceding a, a lot of goals. And what they did at the end of last season was built on that foundation of um, a lot of clean sheets. Uh, four against Chelsea, three against Spurs. They're shipping goals at a high volume. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and you wonder if if maybe the... Um, you know, Pep was asked a lot about it. And after the, um, after the Spurs game, he, he kind of said he was... Uh, he wasn't worried post the, the Spurs game, the Liverpool game, but he was after the Chelsea game. I mean, I think last night's performance suggested that maybe this is a side who don't have the belief, that, the kind of belief they had in their defence previously to that. Um, it's impossible, I think, for a team who are so used to being dominant not to be pretty concerned. And also you think back to the, the Leipzig game as well, where they were 2-0 down early on in the game and had to come back from 2-0 to, to win the game 3-2 in the Champions League. Um, there are clearly big defensive issues. You know, we've said it before in this pop, but Ruben Diaz is, is not having... Um, a particularly good season. You know, he doesn't look uh, like the. He, he, you know, when 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 City are, are playing well and are strong defensively, he's the rockets all built around, both in and out of possession. But um, he's not looking like he, he he normally does. Edison, I think, as well, is not having a particularly good season, especially in recent weeks. Um, he played last night. He made a few saves last night. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, but in terms of if you're looking through this run as a, a run of four games where they've conceded goals in all of them, um, I don't think he's blameless in it either. So, but it's you know, this time last year we were talking about Manchester City in crisis. Like this isn't the first time that City have have, have, have dropped performance levels, and you know I think we're now going to see Pep go into proper tinker mode. But normally he finds a solution eventually, and when he finds that solution, it's very hard to live with. So that's why City are still. You know, even money favourites to win the league because they are the best team, as Sam said, in in the world. So the best team in Europe, European champions. Um, this isn't going to last very long, especially when players come back. No, let's have our score predictions then for this one, and I'll I'll go first because I just think I think Luton are going to feel the City backlash. Unfortunately for them, I'm going to go for a big four nil to Manchester City. Sam. Whew, that is bold, isn't it? Um, yes, obviously I'll, I'll take City as well, um, but I'll go for three one. 3-1. George? 2-0 City. 2-0 to City. Right then, clean sweep for Manchester City. Probably not a surprise, but you know, Luton, 
going okay. I think they'll be happy with how they've adapted to life in the Premier League. Before we have a little cheeky look at Nottingham Forest, we're going to do our score predictions. Just again, another disclaimer, we're a bit of a ragtag podcast this morning because there's midweek football and we kind of just come on this morning not really knowing what we're going to be talking about. But we've, we've done okay so far, but none of us actually submitted our predictions before we've done this podcast, so we are going to be doing them on the fly. And first up is Crystal Palace against Liverpool, George. I will go 3-0 Liverpool, Roy in trouble. I will go 2-0 to Liverpool, Sam. Yeah, I'm going to go for 2-0 Liverpool. They haven't been that good away from home, but you can't look at this Palace team and think they're going to win. Brighton, Burnley, Sam? 3-0 to Brighton. 3-0 to Brighton. I'll go for 3-1 to Brighton. George? 2-1 Brighton. Manchester United against Bournemouth, I will say. 1-1. Sam? What does the dog think? That's 1-1, isn't it? Yeah. It did sound yeah, like 1-1. One, one. One. I'm going to go for... Uh, I'm full of respect for Bournemouth's recent run. Love it. But um, yeah. United are going to somehow win this one as well. Um, let's go for just 1-0 to so United. 2-2. Two, two. Sheffield United against Brentford. Sneaky feeling. I'll go 2-1 to Sheffield United. Sam? 2-1 Brentford. 2-1 Brentford. George? 1-0. Wolves against Forest, George. 2-0 Wolves. That sounds good to me. 2-0 Wolves. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Villa v Arsenal, we have done. And then on to Sunday, Everton against Chelsea, Sam. 1-0. I will go for 1-0 to Everton, George. Yeah, Chelsea were really poor on Wednesday night. Yeah, I, um, I will go... Yeah, I was watching that rather than Villa. Foolishly. Uh, I will go 1-0. One all free scoring Fulham suddenly from, from nowhere, absolutely bagging the goals against West Ham in a London derby. I will go for I'll go for another one one. Sam? Two one to Fulham. Two one to West Ham. Two one to West Ham. Luton Manchester City, we've done. So the final prediction from us is Tottenham against Newcastle. Sam. Three all. Three all. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Said it's so like it's my normal prediction. 2-1 to Tottenham. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. 2-1 to Tottenham. Okay, that does our predictions, but we have, of course, got our odds checker treble to do. I'll take the home win. So I've gone for Sheffield United to beat Brentford. I imagine that will boost the odds considerably. So I'll go for Sheffield United to beat Brentford under Chrissy Wilder. I'm doing the draw. United doing Bournemouth, the draw. Um, despite United's good showing <clears throat> on Wednesday night, I'm still not sold yet. And I think Bournemouth under Areola are trending very much in the right direction after a good result. Yeah. I obviously, I've predicted the draw as, as well in that game. Sam, away win. Yeah, uh, we'll take the Liverpool one, I think. Yeah, but someone's going to say if that makes, that makes Well, I mean, sense, it's, but... it's Liverpool or Man City. I feel pretty safe either way, but <laughs> I'm going to go for the Liverpool one. Yeah, so okay, it's then... big, big price, this. 35.83 to 1 um, with our friends, Dan, uh, as you know, Bet MGM and Bet. Oh, uh, I love it. 35.83 35.8 to 1, your best price. If you didn't use Odds Checker and you went to the shortest price, you'd be only be getting 26.73 to 1. So, massive wow. difference. Yeah, well yeah. done. Well done to Odds Checker there for doing all the work. So Thank you. You don't, you don't have to do it. You'd have to do it yourself, do you? Because I'll check and do it for you. Bet MGM, absolutely loving it. Maybe they should come in and try and sponsor this podcast because we literally mention them every well, single they, week. They, they, they're getting it for free. So, yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, why would they, why would they come? Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Let's have a quick look at Nottingham Forest then. And George Steve Cooper in trouble. Do you think Nottingham Forest will pull the trigger? I hope, I've got to say, I hope they yes. don't. I've, I've done a few Forest presses and Steve Cooper. No, no, I think he's a good manager, but he's actually like a really nice man. 
as, as well. And the Forest fans still love him like that. The Forest fans won't want Steve Cooper to lose his job. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a really, really weird situation where they love him. They were chanting his name last night when they were 5-0 down. But I think the, the party line at Forest at the moment is it, it's time. It has to happen now. No. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, well, this is this be. is from this isn't me just kind of predicting it. This is what, what I'm seeing. They spent centuries in the AFL before Steve Cooper came in. Yeah, but I think that okay, this is I'm going off on a tangent here, but I I think one of the worst perceptions around man- managerial conversations is earning the right to do anything. And what does that mean? Like, yeah, Steve Cooper did a brilliant job to take uh, Forest into Premier League. It doesn't mean he's earned the right to take them down. Like, you have to assess, Do just because he's taken us to this level, do we believe that he is the person who is best placed in the future to, to take us to the next level? And if the answer is no, then it doesn't matter what they've done before. Like, yeah, there's no loyalty in football, but managers don't show loyalty to, to fan bases when a better offer comes along. So, you know, he's, he's clearly done an amazing job. And last season when Forrest were in a pretty similar position, it was him who steadied the ship and, and led them to, to safety. But I think the performances have been so poor in the last few weeks. I think there is a general perception now that it's a matter of time until Cooper moves on. There's been talk in the summer about Cooper himself possibly looking at moving on um, to, to other roles. So you know, football managerial cycles are, are cyclical. Um, that's why they're cycles. And um, this one, <laughs> it, it feels like it feels like it's come to to an end. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who they go after. I saw one national newspaper post match saying that Marco Silva is on the list of replacements, and I can't ever think of a manager. I mean, there was once where um, Paul Lambert, when he was Colchester manager, mm. beat Brian Gunn's Norwich seven yeah, nil on opening day, and they basically just sacked Gunn and hired Lambert on the spot, which was quite amusing. But um, there was quite a clear, obvious step up in um, in job from Colchester to Norwich. I don't think Fulham fans will be anticipating that they can watch their manager stick five past Forest, then he's going to walk out the door and, and, and go to Forest. Uh, it seems unlikely. Lopetegui is another one who's being linked at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think it's just maybe time now. And I think the perception at you know, that there's frustration at Forest, especially with certain players who were part of that Cooper side that got them up, specifically Worrell. Also, Yates, who are just not really featuring at all now in favour of, of of the signings that have come and haven't done particularly well. Um, I don't know. We, we see teams do it consistently, but just when you get promoted out of the, out of the Premier League and suddenly players, a new market of players has opened up to you, which is that kind of £10 million bracket in Europe and clubs go wild. And actually, sometimes they know better than what you already brought in, but it creates divisions within fan bases and, and, and squads. And that's what we're seeing for a second year in a row at, at Forest. I really thought you'd be pro Steve Cooper. I'd, I'd love Steve Cooper. Like, I think, I, you know, I think there's not a small chance. So a big chance. I think there's a fair chance that he'll end up going to uh, Palace when... Yeah. There's a very funny situation potentially brewing here where Palace decide to to, to thank Roy for his services for an 18th time and 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 ask him to move on. Mm. Forrest sack Cooper and then Palace just hire Cooper. Yeah. And it, like it's it's so possible. It's it's very I, amusing. I, I, I almost think there's a fair chance that, that the news that Cooper gets sacked it might go the other way. Cooper gets sacked and that leads Palace to say, Cheers, Roy, we're gonna go and get Steve. Yeah. Um, because they've been linked previously. Like it. And, and, I, and I think he would probably do a very good job there. I think he is, he would be a great manager to work with Elise, to work with Eze, to work with mm. Mitchell. Like, um, and Gay, Gay knows him really Gay, well. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he's a great manager. I'm, I'm not denying that. And, and, I, and I, I also don't think he is necessarily the key problem 
um, at, at Nottingham Forest for the reasons for their poor form. Mm. But so, um, on, like on when Forest when Forest have when Forest are at home and Forest have Tyro Awonyi in the in the team, mm. they are a completely different. Oh yeah, scenario. I was at the city ground and that happened. Yeah. yeah, a completely different scenario to when those two things aren't in play. And and Awonyi's got a terrible injury record and, and and never ever completes a full season. He's out now for a couple of months. Uh, Kel Surprise, and obviously, <laughs> as we well know with uh, with Villa, um, only half of your games can be played at your home stadium. So there's there's fifty percent of your games already that you might lose. And like Forest away record since the start of last season. I saw this tweeted this this morning or last night. Was twenty-seven games, two wins, sixty-two conceded. So there's like obviously there's the whole like you know you're a bottom half Premier League club. You're gonna be better at home. You need to make your home ground afford. You need to be a bit better than two wins in twenty-seven and sixty-two conceded away from home. And it can't all just be because a one year's hamstring's gone again and he's not playing. Particularly when you're buying twenty-five players over the course of three windows, like it. it you, you need to you need to find more consistency. I've always I've always thought Cooper's a really good coach. I've always felt like he's a good a guy who can find solutions on the fly. I think this is based on the fact that he spent a long time as a development coach for the England unders. And when you when you manage an, an underage bracket, you your squad consistently changes based on injuries and oh he's been called up to the first team or oh no he's gone up since twenty one so he's no longer eligible for the nineteens. Like you are constantly mashing together a random assortment of players. And he got really good at finding those solutions. So when Forrest signed 100 players, I was like, I back him to figure it out. It might take him a couple of months, but he'll get there. But there's a f- there are a few things that he never he has never figured out, and that's how this team runs without a one yeet and how this team plays away from home. And I guess eventually frustrations are going to come to the fore. And there was a picture going around on Twitter last night of Evangelos Maranakis's um, accreditation pass for the game thrown into a bush of one of the houses, uh, a garden of the one of the houses outside Craven Cottage, which would suggest that Forest owner has rage quit and um, left the building. And that does not bode particularly well. I would say that they are probably about where you'd expect them to be. And they have lost Brennan Johnson and they are trying to amalgamate a few new players in as they did last, last season. But that kind of stuff does take time. I understand the defeat mm. last night w- w- was alarming. One of the worrying things is, and they'll probably buy 17 players to replace this, is that they might have six players going off to, to AFCON in wow, January. So, Aurier, Bali, Sanar, Sanar, never say this guy's name, Sangare, Niakate, Koyate and Anya. They all potentially could be missing for the African nation. So... A couple of them have, have been big players as well this season. So do you think Forest will get close enough to relegation danger than neither of you that, that they'll pull the trigger? Uh, right. So I'll, I'll go first and I'll say this. Like, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I would say that um, like with Fulham and their question of like, should we should we invest in the number nine in January? Because, you know, Raul Jimenez, okay, really, really lovely to see him on the score sheet on, on Wednesday night. Two great goals, but obviously hasn't quite been at it. Vinicius tries to get himself sent off every time he enters the pitch. Um, like... You, you need to assess the scenario you're in and assess the amount of danger that you're in. And I, I'm not trying to advocate for being, you know, basically not ambitious. But like, are these clubs in genuine danger? I'm still going to go with the answer of no. So mm. if you if you think that Steve Cooper can figure this out over the next three months and is still your guy, I wouldn't sack him. But of course, it comes down to what the owner really, truly believes at this point. I think he'll probably end up going because we know we know the owner, we know Maranakis, we know what he's like. Um, 
but I don't think the peril is there that forces the, the forces this decision if they don't want to take it. Whereas in other years, it, it clearly would have been there. Yeah, part of me feels like you know, there was moments last season where you know everyone talks about Mar- Maranakis and what he's like. There was moments last year where you just assumed he'd go, and he and he mm. didn't. It didn't. Gave him a new contract instead. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of <laughs> feel like maybe, maybe he's maybe he's changed, and he's he, he's not like that. But I mean, George, I'm presuming Steve Cooper's beating you up on the golf course at, at some point. The way you were talking about him, but do you think he'll last the season? That is outrageous. <laughs> I, I just I just punted him for the Palace job. I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's no longer there by the time this goes out. Like I, I, I think there's a fair chance he might be leaving the club today. Um, yeah, fact, I, I mean, in fact, we've done a podcast, so inevitably I've had this happen before. You do a podcast on something, and then straight away after you finish, the news gets announced. So what you've just said is a waste. I think when you've got both local and national journalists doing stories on who is likely to replace a manager, I think the writing is is probably on the wall. And did you also see? Did you see Maranakis's, um ID uh, lanyard was found in a bush outside Craven Cottage last night? which was just fantastic content. Um, so a Fulham fan just found it chucked in a bush after the game. Um, i a question, George, whether you listen to what we're, me and mm, Sam was saying. Did you just say that? Sam said it twice. He said it before we went on the podcast. And he said it George. The annoying thing was, yeah, I wasn't here before. The annoying thing is I saw Sam nodding and I was like, oh, he loves this point. That's exciting. <laughs> um, I love it because I just said it. <laughs> I, yeah. In that case, I'm going to repeat everything you say. How, how do you uh, know when I've asked you a question, George? Well, interestingly, I, I normally listen to everything, but just then I got an email, so I was reading that. Uh, okay, yeah. Sam's already told that story. Please leave this in, Dan Robinson. I'd like, I'd like Don't this to be, you to, dare. To be left in. Um, I'll, 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 I'll just gratuitously swear, swear now. <laughs> there you go. He can't use it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to be a uh, forest manager for much longer. It'll be interesting to see what direction they, they do go in. Um, you know, It's interesting to note that when, as a, as Olympiacos owner, um, Maranakis appointed Carlos Corberan. There are some serious, I mean, that, that didn't last very long, but there are some serious issues at the moment at West, at West Brom that mean that for them, cashing on a manager whose stock is very high could be appealing um, if their relationship hasn't broken down. But it's a big appointment to make. And Corberan is someone who I think his management style is perfectly suited to a team looking to survive in the Premier League where their out-of-possession shape is phenomenal um, unless you watch the last 30 seconds of the Leicester game on uh, on uh, Saturday where they threw about 11 men forward from a 95th minute corner and, and were beaten on the break but generally they are very good so he'd be interesting um, but Lopetegui a name that's being mentioned um, and, and Marco Silva so we'll see yeah, talking to Maranakis, I don't know whether you know, but apparently he threw his lanyard into uh, someone's garden. <laughs> Did he? Near Craven Cottage. Yeah, I've, unbelievable. I've so that. That. Make sure you find that on, on Twitter. Go and, go and have a look at that image. It's a real, real striking image. That does us for this week's edition of Edge of the Box podcast by whoscored.com in association with Odds Checker and sometimes Bet MGM as well. We will be back next week to preview the Premier League action. Wherever you were taking in this podcast, if you could please subscribe, like, comment, do all the things that help the podcast podcast grow that would be absolutely excellent i think it'll be me george and jonathan next week i think sam takes his takes his week out so george's concentration will be at a maximum as well which i'm sure they won't know what that means Dan. great to hear they will because it's staying in the show i'm it's making not. sure i mention it as much as possible <laughs> in the show. thanks ever so much for watching and listening and tell all your friends and your family about the podcast 